Listen, uh, I'm excited. My name is Matt Swoboda. I'm one of the executive pastors here. Uh, I'm excited to get to be in the Word with you as we close out our series, Religion Saves and Other Misconceptions. Now listen, I need you to know, nobody needs this sermon today more than me, okay? Uh, What we're hitting today, the misconception we're hitting today is, can I lose my salvation? There's a misconception out there that, man, even if we have Christ and we become a Christian, are we able to lose that? Now you think, man, why do you need that more today than anybody else? Well, listen, I know what you guys think. You think that before a pastor preaches, uh, that he has to spend all weekend, you know, in solitude and prayer getting ready for his sermon. Uh, That's not what happens. We're real people too. And what real people do is have to move. Now, what real people don't have to do is drive a U-Haul into a bridge. But that is what I did on Friday. This was my day right here. Yeah. Barrett. All the skill in the world to do that guy right there. So listen, I show you this. This is Justin Crutchfield, our tech director, having way too much fun at my expense, but I love him anyways. Now listen, you think, why are you showing this? If you knew the emotions I had when this happened, you would know why. I had some emotions that didn't make me feel like I made me feel like maybe I wasn't a Christian after all. Okay, I didn't feel I didn't feel very close to the Lord with my U-Haul, uh, literally like derailing a railroad. It was not good. Uh, but that was, that was my day. And so just know I needed this sermon more than any of you, I promise. Uh, but listen, my wife asked me this week, she said, man, what are you preaching on? And when I told her, man, I'm preaching on whether or not we can lose our salvation. She said, man, I'm so glad you're preaching on that. She said, when I was a little girl, I used to pray every single night for salvation just in case it hadn't worked before. She said, I would even keep track, I would do my best to keep track of every sin that I committed that day so I could make sure and repent one by one that night. And we were driving in the car and she told me that. I I did like the kind of the big eyes slowly turn like, you poor thing. You know, it was like, it was that bless her heart moment. And then I had the bless my heart moment, you know, with the U-Haul. But listen, I know that's not just my wife. A lot of us Uh, Why we said we're doing this series of these misconceptions is what we've said is uh, because misconceptions are dangerous. A failure we learn from, a misconception we will live by. And so I want, I know my wife's not the only one who maybe grew up with some misconceptions about her salvation and what saving faith actually means and looks like for her. So that's what we're going to dig into. So if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 10. Uh, That's where we're going to be. We're going to read verses 24 through 30. John 10, 24 through 30. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, do not worry. We have you covered. Uh, So we'll read it together. It says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Listen, that is good news. Uh, there, are, there are two misconceptions and one truth when it comes to this nature of our salvation. So I want to knock down the two misconceptions real quick and then dig into what does the Bible actually tell us about our salvation. And so the first misconception is eternal security, once saved, always saved. 
Now listen, that language by itself is totally fine. That we are eternally secure in Christ. That when he said it is finished, uh, he meant it is finished. That uh, he completed our salvation for us. And there's no work left to do uh, on our part. But this language, a lot of times, uh, it gets used as a, as a half-truth that can lead to a misconception. Sometimes when people say this, man, eternal security, once saved, always saved. What they're saying is, once I become a Christian uh, and confess Christ, no matter what, I'll always be a Christian. No matter what my life looks like after that, no matter what I, uh, I can become a Christian at eight, and then college, I embrace atheism and live as an atheist the rest of my life, but I'll, I'll still, you know, despite not believing in it, still go to heaven. There's, a, uh, there's that half-truth type of misconception that, man, that really says my life doesn't have to match my beliefs. It's a half-truth misconception. And so we got to answer this question of, man, can we confess Jesus is Lord and Savior and then live whatever lifestyle we want all in the name of God's grace? Or does our life actually have to match our beliefs? Uh, this is going to sound like a not an untrue story. I promise you it's a true story. I had a good friend uh, when I was in college where uh, we served tables at Red Lobster together. So those cheesy biscuits went right here way too often. Uh, served uh, at Red Lobster together. But uh, he had, uh, you know, I shared uh, the gospel with him uh, many times. We had a lot of spiritual conversations. Well, one night we were hanging out and his girlfriend came along. And, uh, and he told her, you know, uh, who I am and that I was, uh, you know, in school to be a pastor. And uh, she thought, why in the world would anybody want to do that? And I don't blame her some of the time, but most of the time it's pretty dang good. Uh, but listen, she started telling me the story. And she said, uh, she, I, you know, I asked her about her faith. She goes, oh, like, I know I'll go to heaven. Um, and I said, well, yeah, like, why do you know that? And this is her story. She grew up in the foster system. Her whole life she was in foster care. And she, uh, first family she was with uh, was a family that went to a Baptist church. Uh, and this is going to sound like an untrue story. I promise you it's a true story. Baptist church. So she walked down the aisle, said the sinner's prayer, got baptized. Went to a new foster home. This new foster home, was a, uh, they attended a Presbyterian church. I guess the Presbyterians didn't trust that the Baptist salvation was, was like legit and real good. So she said the prayer again and got baptized again in the Presbyterian church. Uh, then she moved to another foster home. Uh, this home was uh, of the Mormon faith. And they obviously thought, man, she needs to embrace Mormonism. And so she said uh, what she had to say for them and got baptized in the Mormon uh, faith. And then she went to another home. This family went to a non-denominational church. Uh, she was coming out of the Mormon faith, so they obviously thought, well, she can't be a Mormon, so she needs to say the sinner's prayer and get baptized. So what did she do? Said the sinner's prayer, got baptized. She got saved slash baptized four times before she was 15. Listen, to say she was a little jaded to the church and to Jesus, and to, uh, to just note how, how sad of an understanding of Jesus and the gospel that she had, it broke my heart. And she told me that night, no, I know. She said, the first two, I, I was like, I was sincere when I did it. The next two were just in case. And she just did not have, she was living based on this misconception of, well, they told me since I said this prayer and got baptized all four times that I'm good. Even though she had no understanding of what saving grace actually was. 
no understanding of what Jesus actually accomplished on her behalf, that he can make her clean, that he has mercy for her, that he will remove her sins as far as the east is from the west. Her lifestyle screamed anything but Jesus, and so did her beliefs. But she was living off this misconception of, but I know I'm fine because of uh, that, that childhood upbringing. Listen, the New Testament makes... It, go, it bends over backwards. Uh, the original language the New Testament written in uh, was Greek, and it uh, shows and differentiates uh, all throughout the New Testament what real faith, real saving faith looks like and what a, uh, uh, just a uh, superficial, uh, shallow faith means and looks like. And the, the difference that it always notes is that there's this one that where uh, we really all we have is head knowledge. That we know, we honestly have the same head knowledge uh, as the devil. That we understand, man, Jesus is, uh, is God, and, and uh, I know that I'm sinful, and, uh, but I'll, I'll live and, and try to do right. There's this head knowledge of who Jesus is. The New Testament makes clear, man, that's not nearly enough or what God desires. That there's this relational heart knowledge of this intimacy and relationship with God that saves us. And uh, it, it, you know, it's a difference of if someone told me and they came up to me and said, man, Matt, I'm a kind person. I'd probably say, oh, that's cool that you're kind. You're probably also self-righteous. You know, just come up to me and tell me that. Uh, but if someone came up to me and just showed me kindness, that would change and affect me. I would grow to love, I would have an affection and grow to love and appreciate and be thankful for a person that just showed me kindness because I would now have a relational and a heart knowledge and relationship with that person. Uh, that's the difference that the New Testament makes sure. It's like, man, it doesn't matter just what we know with our minds. A real saving faith is a heartfelt thing. Listen, the second misconception that we got to deal with is this misconception that you can lose your salvation. That there's a way that once saved, now lost. Uh, this is a misconception. We got to answer the question, can we sin our way out of God's grace? And can we rebel our way out of his love? Uh, listen, our answer, and hopefully you already picked it up from John 10, is a resounding absolutely not. But I want to deal with why people think, why uh, so many actually believe uh, this misconception. There are a lot of churches, a lot of you guys probably have some like serious cringe factor right now because you grew up in a church that teaches, no, you can lose your salvation if you don't walk in godliness and holiness. Uh, uh, even though you were once saved, now you can be lost. They get that from some passages in the New Testament that are giving a warning and a caution. Uh, Hebrews 6 is a popular one where if you read those passages all on their own, uh, you could see, okay, this, it made it seem like someone who was following God who's now not in the faith and says, you know, they can't be restored to repentance. What is that? Uh, we, because there is an overwhelming amount of verses uh, and stories in the, the Bible that show us, listen, once you are God's, you cannot be removed from him. When we see passages like that, it should make us step back and ask the question, if it's not showing that I can lose my salvation, what is it teaching? And what you'll see is the New Testament writers, they are making sure, they are giving warning and caution to people to make sure that they know God and their lives actually show it. What those passages are doing is they're warning you of, they're not, they're not affirming, hey, misconception uh, two is true. They're not affirming you can lose your salvation. They are a warning and a caution to us to not be living according to misconception one. It is a warning and caution of saying, no, no, look at your life, 
Look at your heart. Make sure that you are following Christ and that you love him and that you aren't just banking on some religious activity, a past decision, a past emotion. These warnings in the New Testament are saying, do not live according to that first misconception. Make sure that your heart is set on Christ above everything else. And listen, we don't just have verses uh, that teach that you can't lose your salvation. We have story after story after story of actual people in the Bible. Uh, The Apostle Peter, uh, he followed Jesus for three years. Then he denied Jesus three times in one evening. And then he got called out as a racist by Paul in Galatians 3. Uh, And then Jesus ascended to heaven. And uh, despite all of that, Jesus said, now, Peter, you go and lead my church. We have John Mark who abandoned the mission field because he was scared and it was difficult. We have King David who committed adultery and murder and refused to repent uh, repent of it for over a year. And then we have Abraham who doubted God and uh, in all of his great masculinity lied about his wife being his sister in order to protect himself. What we see is the people backslide, that we are susceptible to fall into old sinful habits. But what the New Testament and the Old Testament shows us, that does not mean we forfeit our salvation. It just means we are people who still need to repent and grow uh, in, in the ways of God. All of those leaders that I just mentioned, all of them were restored and had good relationship with God. Their uh, salvation was not forfeited despite the fact that they still had sin in their lives. So what is the third? There's two misconceptions and a truth. The third truth, we're going to verbalize this way perseverance of the saints, once saved, forever following. Now listen, I don't know, uh, when you read that, what I hope you read isn't once saved, forever perfect. That is not what the Bible teaches. If that's what it taught, we would all be in big trouble, okay? Especially the guy that ran the U-Haul into the bridge. I'd be in big trouble. But listen, not once saved, forever perfect, once saved, forever following doesn't mean we don't fall into some old sin and habits. Uh, and it doesn't mean uh, that, that we all of a sudden, like, we, we wake up in the morning and just the, the light of Christ just shines through us perfectly. You know, we know that you all act like devils until you get at least two cups of coffee. But it's once safe, forever following. It's not forever perfect. It's, but are we still continuing to turn away from our sin and our old habits? Are we fighting those things? Are we at least pushing towards Christ and pursuing him? Uh, Let's define just perseverance of the saints a little bit. The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power. Notice by God's power, not because you have now been made good enough, by God's power, and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Perseverance of the saints. Listen, I wanna, we're going to dig into John 10 to figure out what this passage really clues us in on. What does real saving faith look like and why it can't be lost? Uh, the first thing that we see, if you got your Bibles, is that faith, saving faith is a gift. Uh, there's a promise in verse 28 uh, that simply says... I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. Listen, he will give us eternal life. What it doesn't say is, and then this person was finally good enough, so I brought them into the fold. And then this person did all that I required, and so then I adopted them into my family. So no, no, no. I, the promise is, I will give them eternal life. 
Just like you and I, we woke up today, we did not earn the breath in our lungs. It was a gift, and we have no power to make sure that it stays. It was a gift that can only be received, and we can be filled with thanks. That is what saving faith is. Listen, my wife and I, uh, we're in the middle of an adoption process. Uh, we're adopting a little girl from India uh, who we are naming Millie. Uh, would anybody like to see a picture? Yes. Good. You better have said that. I've been waiting for this. Listen, this is our little Millie. Now listen, she is a little five-year-old girl who we've only had this picture and some videos of her uh, playing Ring Around the Rosie and making boys, grabbing their arm and making them grab her little nub that she will play with them, and it's adorable, um, uh, and jump around and smile. Now listen, we have never met her. Uh, uh, we've never met her. That picture is my screensaver. That picture is on my desk. Uh, we love her dearly. But why? Listen, has she benefited our family in any way? Nope. Has she done anything for us? No. Why do we love her? We love her because we have chosen to make her a daughter. That we have chosen to adopt her and to bring her into our family. Listen, our adoption in Christ is the exact same way. God does not love us because we have just benefited him so much. Because we have done so much for him. That is not why he loves us. He loves us because he chose to make us sons and daughters into his family and give everything up for us, that he gave us eternal life. Uh, The next thing, saving faith cannot be taken and is without condition. Listen, Ephesians 2, it says we're saved by grace through faith. Grace by nature is conditionless. There are absolutely no strings attached to Uh, the faith we have received by God's grace. Verses 28 and 29 says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. It says that God, the father who is greater than all, uh, God who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Here's what this means. You don't have the power, even if you wanted to, you don't have the power to lose your salvation. The devil doesn't have the power to take it from you. And your sin doesn't have the power to cancel and separate you from God. Uh, Ray Ortland, he says it this way. He says, a Christian can sin their way out of a lot of things. You can sin your way out of marriage. You can sin your way out of a job. You can sin your way out of a good relationship with your kids. You can sin your way out of a clean conscience. But you cannot sin your way out of God's love for you in Christ. Uh, Romans 8 says it this way. It says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing can separate us from the overwhelming love of Christ. Uh, God is giving us a resounding You are mine, and I'm not letting you go, and absolutely nobody can take you from me. He's saying, you're mine. You're mine forever. You're a valued possession that will not be lost, cannot be lost, that our Father, who is greater than all, we are secure in his hands. That means there is no sin in your past or in your present that can remove the fact that Christ paid for that sin and united you with him. 
Listen, the devil has all the power in the world to accuse you before God. He has absolutely no power to remove you from him. Our sin, uh, our sin has no power. We were given to Jesus by the Father. And listen, it just says we will never perish. This is when you're grateful. Uh, the words just mean what they mean and there's nothing else. That's ne- listen, never means never. And when he gives us a promise of, I'll give you eternal life and you will never perish, we get to rest in the fact that he just made a promise and he is greater than all. There's not a, you will never perish uh, unless, unless you don't go to church whenever Pastor Matt preaches instead of Pastor Josh. It doesn't say that. Now, you shouldn't do that, but it doesn't say it. It's not unless you have just sinned a certain amount or unless you just do this one thing. And it doesn't say it, and you will sometimes, and you will, uh, you will never perish sometimes. Listen, you know how terrifying that'd be? The whole everyday, you'd be like, I hope I'm on the right side of sometimes. There would be no assurance. He just says, no, listen, you're mine, and you will never perish. We get to rest in the fact that if you just had the most crappy, sinful week you have had in a long time, Jesus is still looking at you saying, you will never perish. I give you eternal life. The next thing we see is that saving faith transforms. Uh, verse 27, uh, he uses an analogy that none of us would use because none of us have sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now listen, have, do, have any of you ever ridden a sheep? I have. I just have to share that. The fact that there's the verse that said sheep, uh, if you're like, man, you must have grown up in a place like Nebraska. Absolutely, I did. That's what us little kids did uh, at rodeos as we rode the sheep. And I promise you, you just lay on top and you hold on. They see if you can hold on for eight seconds. You cannot do it. You just tip right over every single time. But listen, most of us don't get what Jesus is doing. That was such a side note. I have no idea why. Uh, except to say, I mean, very few people have ridden a sheep. And very few people have driven U-Hauls into a bridge. But <laughs> what, oh, it's in the past. It's in the past. Uh, listen. But why does Jesus use that analogy? Why does he use the analogy of my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me? Listen, uh, back in Jesus' day, uh, uh, in the ancient Near Eastern cities, uh, they did not, uh, shepherds did not get to stroll into a city and have specific little storage units just for their sheep. That's not how it worked. They had one big pen and all the shepherds would put all their sheep into the same pen. So how would shepherds know which sheep was theirs. They weren't branded. They didn't have tags in their ear. How did they know what sheep to take out and what belonged to them? Listen, back in that day, every shepherd had their own distinct song. Uh, Every shepherd had their own song, and they would literally just walk to the edge of the pen, and they would sing their song, and the sheep would know their voice and literally follow them right out of the pen. That's the analogy he's using. Listen, there could be a hundred sheep in there, or ten of them the shepherd. That shepherd sings his song. Those ten sheep know his voice and follow him right outside the pen. He's using this analogy of, man, saving faith transformed because there is a depth of knowledge and a intimacy and just a familiarity that we know the Father's voice because we know him, we're close to him, we follow him, and we are known by him. Saving faith transforms. When we truly know God as Father and we know His voice, uh, our life begins to change. Uh, 
Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. When we pursue Christ, listen, we, are, we, uh, we do not get perfect. Uh, what we do, though, is our heart, just little by little, starts becoming more like his. That the things he cares about, we care about. The things that break his heart, break our heart. The, uh, the things that make him uh, just feel compassion and pity for people make us feel compassion and pity for people. Our desires change, our purposes change, and little by little, we start to resemble our Father as we grow into the maturity of the faith. Little by little. The last thing we see is saving faith endures. Listen, uh, verse 27, it just makes it super clear that we follow him, that God's people follow him. One of the signs of genuine faith is that it endures forever. That doesn't mean there's never some backsliding. Uh, It doesn't mean that we never sin. It doesn't mean that we never fall. It doesn't mean that we never stumble. But what it means is, but man, we repent and we simply wake up each day saying, man, I'm glad that there are new mercies for me. I am going to keep pushing towards Christ as imperfect as it may be. I give myself to him. Listen, a lot of us, uh, a lot of you guys, you have the story uh, that my wife has. My wife has absolutely no idea when she became a Christian. Uh, she was raised uh, in a pastor's home. She uh, walked the aisle, said the prayer at six, got baptized. All she remembers is that she is told she walked the aisle and prayed the prayer. Uh, and she remembers her baptism. Uh, but then when she was 13, that was the first time she started kind of recognizing, man, I need to figure out this faith stuff for myself and sort of kind of trying to own her own faith. Uh, when she was 16, uh, that was really the first time she goes, oh, I'm actually like a sinful person that probably has some repentance that might need to be done uh, to, to have a right relationship with God. Uh, when she was 21, uh, there was a night where her and I were already married where it was really the first time she just became overwhelmed by the grace of God where she just wept. There was nothing else she could do. It was really the first time that just her heart uh, just got that gripped by the grace of God. And so I asked her, so when did you become a Christian? She said, I have no idea. Listen, she has a, an Apostle Peter type of uh, salvation. You read through the New Testament, you have no idea when Peter was saved. You think like, oh man, he just declared like Jesus is the Christ. Obviously he gets it. Well, then he denies Jesus three times so shortly later. Or then he does another thing good and then he sticks his foot in his mouth again. You know, Peter was a mess. You have no idea when he was actually converted in the New Testament. Listen, what matters is not that my wife knows when she was converted. What matters is that she knows she is presently pursuing Christ. Her confidence isn't, oh, there was this moment back then. Her confidence is, no, no, I'm pursuing Christ because right now I trust in his life and death for me and the work that he accomplished on my behalf. So listen, uh, before we close, there's going to be four things that perseverance is not, so we do not misunderstand. What does it mean to have this perseverance of the saints that once saved, forever following? So one thing that it's not. Perseverance is not. It's not past confession, but present assurance. It does not matter uh, that my wife has no idea when she became a Christian. It matters that she is currently professing Christ as king of her life and giving herself to him uh, in every way that she can. Perseverance is not, it is not how you were raised, it is how you endure. It is not how you were raised, it is how you endure. Listen, a lot of it thinks, man, a lot of us thinks, well, uh, I was raised as a Christian, as a Christian. my parents are Christians, I uh, have the head knowledge. Uh, listen, 
If we're putting our trust and confidence in that, we're going to come up way, way short. But if we're putting our trust and confidence of, no, no, I resemble my, when I look over the last 10 years of my life since I've been a Christian, I resemble my father so much more now than I did 10 years ago. The things he loves, I love so much more now than I did 10 years ago. The things that he hates, I hate so much more now than I did 10 years ago. That uh, it, you see this uh, from one degree of glory to another, this slow transformation to resemble our Father. Another thing that it's not, it is not consistency of Christian activities, but consecration of one's life. It's not consistency of Christian activities, but consecration of one's life. Listen, it is not how much we do for God. It is how much of ourselves we give to him. When we see in uh, the book of Psalms, it says, man, it's not sacrifice I desire, it's mercy. What he's saying is do not fill up our checklist of, man, I did all of these Christian activities. Well, God, when he looks at you and I, he's saying, no, no, I don't want you to mark off a bunch of checklists. I just want you to be so in love with me because of how I gave everything for you that your only heart response is, I give everything back to you, God. He's saying, I just, it's how much of your life you give me not how many things can you check off of our to-do list. Listen, uh, here's what does make sense. It makes sense to hear the gospel and to just know, I mean, Jesus paid for my sin uh, and I, I can give my entire life to him and follow him. Uh, to hear that message and to just say, man, uh, that's just not for me. And to leave and to be unchanged. Uh, that makes sense. We just reject the message of the gospel. Uh, uh, what else does make sense is to hear that good news that, man, in Jesus, I can be made clean. My guilt and shame can be wiped away as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God will remove my sins. And I can trust in Christ and I will walk out of here and I will give to God everything that I am because he has given me everything in the first place. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is to hear the gospel. So yeah, I, be- I believe that uh, just enough that I'll do a little few of the things that, that they tell me now I'm supposed to do. Uh, I'll read my Bible a little bit. I'll give a little bit. I'll show up to a community group, even though it's on Thursday night. You know, there's these things called Thursday night football. I'll make, I'll make that sacrifice. You know, it doesn't make sense is to hear the message of the gospel and say, man, I am in. But only be kind of halfway and half-hearted and say, man, God gave me everything. I'll give him this 30% that I'm comfortable giving. Uh, Ray Ortland Sr., uh, he says this, he says, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable of all. They know enough about God to feel guilty, but they haven't gone far enough with Christ to be happy. Listen, God is not looking at you and saying, man, just knock out this list of Christian activities. He's saying, no, no, I want you to be, I have joy and have life and have it abundantly, and you have that when you give me everything because I gave everything to you. And then the last one, that perseverance is not, it is not intensity of emotion at the beginning, but it's duration over time. Listen, here's why I really want to encourage and speak into some of you. Some of you, you are in here, you've always had some Christian just aspects of your life, but you feel like, man, for the last 10, 15 years, uh, I'm doing it because I feel like I'm supposed to do it. I know I'm supposed to do it, but if someone really dug into your heart and asked you, man, how do you know that you're a Christian? The only thing you have to point back to is, man, when I was a teenager, I had this intensity of emotion uh, when I uh, prayed, and I just remember how I felt. Listen, that is not enough. Uh, A good friend of mine 
uh, there's a small revival that broke out uh, when I was in student ministry. The day I got baptized, as a church about 900, 33 of us were baptized. About 20 of them were students. Good friend of mine. I mean, we were passionate about the Lord together. Uh, we both professed Christ like right at the same time, uh, sort of giving ourselves to him. Uh, I mean, we were so saved. We were wearing the T-shirts that said sold out, like S-O-U-L-D. Like that's how in it we were. You know, we were on fire for Christ, which I have no idea what that means. Uh, but we, listen, there was an intensity of emotion. But shortly after that, I continued to just uh, press in and pursue Christ and seek godly relationships to grow in my faith. And shortly after that, this good friend of mine, uh, he just started sleeping with his girlfriend. Uh, He started uh, just partying every weekend, alcohol, pot. Uh, He eventually uh, got addicted uh, to just cocaine and some other harder drugs. Uh, He then tried to take his own life twice. And to this day, he says, man, I know I'll go to heaven and, you know, I believe, I believe what I said I believed as a teenager. Uh, but nothing about what he actually believes uh, has any resemblance of the gospel. And nothing about his life says that I pursue Jesus and I love him. But he's bought into this misconception of man. But once saved, always saved. I can't lose that. And I had that when I was a teenager because I had this, this emotion and I made this decision. Listen, I pray for my, that friend all the time because I want him to actually know Jesus in a way that radically changes his life to where he actually feels a life of abundance and joy and a passion in Jesus that transforms him and that actually endures time and hardship and trial. Because I know following Christ and uh, perseverance of the saints, it is not an intensity of emotion of a decision we made way back when. It is a, do I trust not in a decision I felt like I might have made, but do I trust in the reality that Jesus came on my behalf, lived the perfect life that I could not live, died the death that I deserve, taking all my sin and all my shame and putting his righteousness on us and raising from the dead, defeating death and defeating sin so you and I can have life. That's the best news in the world and it's news that... that Uh, we can receive uh, by putting our trust and faith in him and having our lives forever changed to where we can actually say, I am in God's hand. Nothing will ever snatch me out. Nothing can ever take me away because he has adopted me as a son or a daughter into his family. And there is nothing that can change that. But it's when our hope and our confidence is only in Jesus and what he has accomplished that we get that life in Christ. Listen, Philippians 1.6 has this promise. We have this promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Listen, this passage tells us that the Father who is greater than all will bring to completion the, uh, the faith that he started in you. He will bring it to completion. We have this, uh, the Bible paints this picture that once we're Christian, listen, we cannot be snatched out of God's hand. We have a secured inheritance by the Holy Spirit that nothing can separate us from the love of, love of God. And that, listen, we aren't ever on the verge of losing our salvation. Sometimes I think we know that in our head. Man, I know mentally, intellectually, I can't lose my salvation. 
But because of just sin in our life and struggle in our life and our job's not where we wish it was and our marriage isn't where we wish it was and our friendships aren't where we wish it was and our Bible reading isn't as strong as we wish it was and our prayer life is uh, much more absent than we wish it was, that we kind of had this emotional feeling like, man, I know I'm safe, but uh, I sure doesn't feel, I always feel like I'm right on the verge of, am I a Christian or not a Christian? Listen, the Bible paints such a different picture. If we are in Christ, we, uh, we can live with this confidence and this assurance that not only are we not on the verge of losing our salvation, he makes us this promise where God says, no, no, I am, I am transforming you from one degree of glory to another in the image of Jesus. You, we're, as Christians, we're not just not about to lose our salvation. We are becoming more like his son, Jesus, day in and day out day after day after day. We can live in a confidence that knows God keeps his promises. I cannot out his great love for me. And listen, if you're a Christian and you're in here, this should be the most freeing news in the world to you because it is not based on your good works or your abilities. It is based on God's power and his promise. And listen, God never fails. And he gave us his word and his son and his Holy Spirit to make sure it happens. We get to trust all of that, that not only can we never lose our salvation and be separated from Christ, we are being made into the image of his son. And that is the most freeing news in the world. Let's go to God and thank him uh, in prayer. God, we thank you. Uh, We are so grateful that the gospel message is not a message of get to work, that it is, that that it has been done on our behalf. Um, God, I just pray for everyone who's in here. God, I pray for uh, for every Christian who is in here, but uh, just always feels like uh, they're so bad at following you and that there's so much sin in their life and that they just don't, they don't feel very safe. Just, God, remind them that you have adopted them as a son or a daughter that no one can snatch them out of your hand and that you are not looking for them to be perfect. You are just looking for them to pursue you. God, help their heart just trust that you have paid it all and all to you we owe. God, I just pray for anyone in the room who, who doesn't know you whether that's because they have never professed faith in you or they, the only evidence of their salvation is something they said or felt many years ago. God, help them to know they don't even have to sit here and wonder, man, was that genuine or not? Am I saved or not? They can just this day and every day forward say, man, I need Jesus and turn from their sin and trust him and just begin to pursue you. So God, I just pray your Holy Spirit will do that work uh, in our people. We should feel as safe and secure as we are in your hand, by your power, and through your grace. We will not be moved. You are so faithful to us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.